0: Welcome to PhotoActive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElwain. And I'm Jeff Carlson. So we had an idea for this episode. We wanted to discuss photos, not the photos that we take, the history of photography. And I had recommended to Jeff a book that I bought many years ago called The Photo Book. It's published by Faden in the UK. And it's a 580-page book. Um, where each page, other than the introduction to the index, is a large photo by one photographer with very short text, about 100 words about the photographer and a little bit about the photo. And I know that Jeff is not as familiar with the history of photography and didn't recognize as many of the names in this book as I did. So I'm curious how you felt when you were looking through this book for the first time. One of the great things about our Dynamic
1: is that you have a really good, rich sense of the history of photography, and I I just missed all that, basically. Uh, And so going through this book, and just for readers who have not clicked the link that we'll provide to look at what this is, this is a large book. It is large and heavy, and to go through it is an experience. You're not just
0: flipping through something and let me just point out that it's not a very expensive book. It's really affordable for someone who wants to get a nice overview of the history of photography.
1: Yeah. It was about $56, which you know, is it, not cheap, but for a full color photo book uh of this size, it's kind of amazing, really. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, my So, what I found interesting going through this was a, a couple of things. One, it was nice to see images that I recognize. There are a lot of instances here where you have like a quote-unquote famous image because it has historical significance, say. Um, I I should also point out that the way this is arranged is that uh, every page is a different photographer and it's arranged alphabetically by the photographer's name. So it's not like you're going through time or anything, you're just totally alphabetical. So the things that you run into, you could have you know, black and white portraits on one page, and on, on the the page across it could be like a historical you know, color, uh, who knows, some of it could be advertising. So it's a real mix.
0: I just want to say that the approach of doing this in an alphabetical manner is probably because they wanted to be used this as a textbook, so it's easier to find the photographers. I think doing it in a chronological way would be better, but of course then you have to decide, do we choose the chronological order based on the year that the photo was taken or the year that the photographer was born or something like that? So it gets a little bit confusing. Yeah, But there is a weird juxtaposition that you get in alphabetical order. You do, because also, I mean, coming back to the time
1: issue, you have some things that were shot in the 1980s, and then you turn the page and you're looking at something from 1889 or something very very early,
0: or even a photo by Matthew Brady of the American Civil War in the 1860s. So it goes from that early, it goes from those early days of photography, daguerreotypes, Matthew Brady, up to, you know, I guess around the 2000s. Um, I I never re- I didn't really check, but a lot of the photographers in the book are still working, are contemporary.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um. I was a little surprised, uh, and especially because what we have here is like the the second edition of this book, and I didn't see anything from the 2000s. I didn't specifically look hard, but um, the most recent one I saw was maybe mid-90s, mid-1990s. So, um, but it, in terms of impressions, given my background, I had a little bit of... Uh, this challenged me a bit because there are a lot of photos in here that, if you were to take that photo today with your iPhone, would be good or just as good, but some of them are in here because this was the first time somebody took this picture, and then some of the other photos in here are very much like very stylized, very noteworthy um, you know a couple of the things that we'll talk about. Are you know maybe abstract experimentation, and so I guess my overall impression of going through this was like I needed to, to to put myself in a sponge mode if that makes sense to just just let it wash over me because i you know I definitely recognize some of the names, but it wasn't like I was looking for like oh which which of the Jerry Uelsman pictures are going to be in this? And actually, occasionally, I would come across a name I knew and see a photo that I wouldn't expect from them because they have maybe some other more famous pieces.
0: That's one thing. A lot of the photographers in this book, the photos used to illustrate their work are not necessarily the most representative. So Cartier-Bresson, the photo that they use for him is the guy jumping over the puddle by the train station, which is an extremely well-known photo. But the William Eggleston photo is not a photo that people who know William Eggleston will really recognize. It's not a popular photo. And this is the case for a lot of them. Deanne Arbus, for instance, her best-known photo is the one of the twins, and yet this is a totally different photo that they used to present her. I think what's really interesting is you flip through this book, you spend a couple of hours looking through it, and you're just constantly, every time you turn the pages, confronted with something different. It's not like they're trying to, to gather 500-plus photos that are all similar. It's quite the contrary. They're trying to show how, how diverse photography can be. And the alphabetical aspect of it means that you can have interesting collisions between a photo on the left page and a photo on the right page.
1: Yeah. And I also appreciate that this is not a book that says, here is this photographer, and this is their most important work. I mean, that, that, that kind of touches on what you just said but it's also it's not trying to be this authoritative well if you're going to look up uh you know Esther Bubley this is this is the one um it, maybe not but for some reason you know whoever was curating this chose this image and then they have i think all of the the little write-ups are are written by different people so it's not like like one person is is describing them so i think they they pulled those from various sources
0: Our idea was that we would each pick five photos and talk about them. And why did we choose the photo? What do we see in the photo that's interesting? For me, I chose photos that some that I know, some that I don't, some that show interesting techniques, juxtapositions compositional things. And we're going to limit ourselves to five because we have a ha- habit of running over time. And if we chose 10 each, then we'd be here for an hour. And I have to edit this episode and I'm going to be busy next week. So, um, And I'm going to say in advance, this is my snapshot pick and this should probably be your snapshot pick. And I think it would be a great, very large stocking stuffer for Christmas for anyone who's interested in photography and wants to learn more about the history of photography.
1: I am a little skeptical that we'll actually each get through five, but we will do our best. Um, we will try to put pictures of the images in the show notes, uh, which will either be something we need to go find or maybe just take a snapshot of this. Uh,
0: I'm I'm pretty sure you can find them all on the internet. They may not all be of the same quality. Sure. Uh, so keep that in mind yeah. if you're looking at the images in the show notes. So why don't you start, Jeff? Okay. What's your first? Well, and, and I'm not going to go in alphabetical order. I've I've selected about 15, and I'm going to pick five of my selection as we go on.
1: Yeah, I've also picked maybe about, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, and I'll just uh, pick them randomly. Um, And I I just want to say before I begin, I'm very curious to know if we have any overlap. (laughs) Exactly. I was thinking about that. So for, for you listening at home uh, we did not coordinate beforehand. We just said, let's take this book and we'll find five pictures. And yep. in, in fact, uh, we didn't even talk about this before we started recording. We just jumped right in. So for my first one, uh, I'm going to go to page 299, which is Eric Lessing. It is a photo of Dwight Eisenhower. And th- this ties in a little bit because after looking at the work of, of Pete Souza. And especially since we talked to him, there'll be a link in the show notes. It was, there's something about presidential portraits that fascinate me. And this is from 1955. And it's a picture of Dwight Eisenhower. And he is mostly in shadow. There's an aide or someone walking next to him. And he's holding up his hat. Like he, he's tipped his hat, but the hat is, is uh, perpendicular. No, it's parallel to the camera and a shaft of light or a ring of light or something is is illuminating his face. So everything is in shadow. Looks like he's probably on an airport tarmac and he's just raising his hat and smiling. But what's interesting is the lighting in this and just because everything is dark, the person behind him is in shadow and yet his face smiling is lit by whatever light source this happens to be. And what I like about this is not only that it's, it's a famous person and it's a president, but that it's a moment that couldn't have been planned, maybe was an accident, but those sorts of things are vital to photography as much as if you go and make a long composition. And there were probably 10 other photos of him doing this, but this is the one that sticks out because your eye goes directly to what it needs to go to in the, in the picture.
0: The light in this is really fascinating, and if someone shot this today, they would take the dark part on the bottom of his chin and brighten it, because you can do that with software. It'd be very easy to bring up the shadows in the bottom. Mm -hmm. So you get his face is lit up, and the person behind him, only the right ear of the person behind him is lit up. So it is a really interesting composition. And I, I think as we look through some of these older photos, we're going to see some of these limitations. That too many photographers today think are bad, are wrong, but yet which are just the way photography works when you do it organically instead of thinking, I have to make everything look perfect.
1: Or, or I have to fix everything.
0: Yes. That's yes. another thing.
1: Yeah. I'm guilty of that.
0: Okay. So I'm going to choose a portrait now, since you just chose a portrait. Okay. Mine is a studio portrait. It is by, um, if I use a magnifying glass, I can give you the pages on page 96. It's by Etienne Carja, and it's a very famous portrait of Charles Baudelaire, the poet. You can tell that this is a studio portrait because of the lighting, and when you look at the darkness around Baudelaire's eyes, and he was nearing the end of his life, and he had syphilis, and um, his book Flowers of Evil had been banned, and he had a very strange life. The, the The commentary talks about that when this was first displayed, people could have taken it as a warning about the the consequences of dissipation. And the look on Baudelaire's face is fascinating. Another thing that's fascinating, we talked about background blur in our last episode, is you look at the face it's really in focus, but there's a nice vignetting and a blur around his clothes that really makes his his head stand out in this photo. The lighting is perfect because it's studio lighting, but it looks like it's just one or two lights. They didn't use a fill light, to get the dark eyes lightened, and they obviously didn't use a radial um, gradient filter in Photoshop to lighten them <laughs> as well. And so the the dark eyes really give that image of Baudelaire, and this is the best-known image of Baudelaire that we've, you know, had for, for more than a century. The photographer caught an image here of this person which really matches who he was and where he was at that point in his life.
1: Well, and also, so this was uh, taken in 1878. So this was also probably him sitting there and having to sit still for the length of the exposure for however they took it, yeah, and so you you do have a flash like you can see the 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 glint in his eye, there's a little reflection of a flash um or maybe you know some really bright light source but uh you know to to make this photo then compared to now is so completely different, I think most people myself included would not really know how to do this if I was in their shoes then. I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. On page 341 by Stephen Meisel, Meisel. this is a color photo. This is shot in 1996, so something more recent. And yet when I first looked at it, I thought it was completely out of the 1960s. It's two women sitting at a table and everything is angular. It has a very... Modernistic in in terms of modernism look to it. There are lots of colors, lots of right angles, and the two women who uh very obviously look like models they're wearing cloche hats, I think I'm saying that correctly. yep, it's like a little little bell but but one is gray and one is bright red and both women are sitting opposite each other, but they are they've turned their heads to look at the camera. And in a book like this, where there's so much black and white, this really stood out. But also it stood out to me because I just assumed this was something taken in 1968, perhaps. And
0: yet... From from the style of clothing, it could have been taken in the 30s. And... The the way the, the lines in the composition of the chairs and the table in the background look like a painting by Miro or something. So it could be from that older period, even.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, it's a good example of whereas my first pick was very much a, a slice of the moment, couldn't plan this. This looks like, I mean, this was planned down to the very last detail. And the lighting on it looks very natural. I would guess that it's probably not natural. but. It's very soft, and just everything about this says we knew exactly what we were
0: doing. Okay, my next pick is on page 442. It's a photo by Penti Samolati, who is a Finnish photographer, and I own a copy of a print of this photo. Samolati is very interesting. He doesn't sell limited editions of his photos. He sells open editions, which makes them much less expensive than limited editions so anyone can buy prints that he keeps making. Um, this is a lovely photo of a frog with its head out of the water, and you see the, the edge of a pond or a lake, and you see the, the the sun setting in the background. All of that's blurry. What I really like about this photo is the composition where if you just draw an imaginary line between the sun and the frog, you get this angle that crosses the angle of the edge of the pond. The, the lines in here are just wonderful. Samulati likes to do photos of animals, and he did a book of photos of animals um, not long ago that I have. He's also a photographer that uses different aspect ratios according to the subject. He'll crop according to the subject. Some will look panoramic, long and wide. Some will look tall and thin. He doesn't marry himself to aspect ratios. Very few photographers do that. But I like the quiet in this photo because... The water in the pond is is totally flat. There's no wind. There's no movement or anything, and it's just these two eyes of the frog looking out at you. You can almost hear the frog croaking mm-hmm. when you look at the photo.
1: Well, and one thing that I really like, uh, so the you know the frog is down in the lower right hand corner, but the sun or the you know the setting sun, uh, which is behind clouds, you get like the actual circle of the sun. It's not just a, a bright burst, and so. That anchors the top left of the of, of the image, and I don't know, like my eye just keeps bouncing between the two, even though I know, yeah. oh, well, that's just the sun. But it's, yeah. it's subtle, but it's there, and it makes a mark without that, that sense of we go out, and, and we, we know that there's the sun because we see it every day, and we just sort of discount it. But this has been made into a compositional element. Next up is page 408. Georgi Pinkasov, Pinkasov. My apologies for butchering this name. This is an image that struck me because it is all about light and texture. Uh, it's a it's a hallway, and it looks like it may be in a hotel or some sort of large uh, building. And uh, this is in Japan, and there there are some Japanese men. There are three men in the front left. But they're out of focus. There's another man who looks like maybe he's lighting a cigarette in the background to the right. But what makes this interesting is you have light coming in from the right side. So like through some sort of set of slats or um, some sort of covering that gives a very detailed, uh, not not really square, but can't
0: quite describe it looks like it's coming through like a slatted wall or something yes like imagine venetian blinds but also with vertical lines blocking the light
1: yes thank you uh and so like this is all about light and shadow it's in color and it has a lot of orange and yellow and brown hues to it and and again this may have just popped out because so much of the book is in black and white. But I came across this, and I looked at it, and I turned back to the page. And there's also one small detail, which I'm I'm guessing might be, maybe there's a bar in the background, but there's a glint of light that makes a little star that also sort of draws your eye in. So it's, it's a great example of moving your eye through the image and grabbing your attention and making you question what else is going on.
0: If we go to page... I think we're both going off mic a lot here as we're turning to look at the book. Um, so if you hear if you hear us and it doesn't sound good, just bear with us. If you go to page 156, we have a photo by Elliot Erwitt, who passed away last week, age 95. He's one of the great street photographers. He photographed a lot in France. He photographed a lot in the US. And this is a very well-known photo of him. It's a ground-level photo of a tiny dog with a little hat on, and the legs and feet of two people next to him. You see the leash coming up from the dog and all you see of the people is the two legs of each person. He loved photographing dogs and and did at least one book of dog photos. And what's amazing here is this is the tiniest little dog, like even smaller than a cat. Well, and also it's not two people. It's one person and a tall dog. That's right. Sorry. That's That's right. (laughs) Yes. That's right. So on the left is something that's probably a
1: like a great dane maybe, something something yeah, very large. Yeah, a
0: really big dog. But but not like a St. Bernard, not as furry as a St. Bernard. That's right. I never even, you know, I've seen this photo many times, I'd never noticed it. I just thought the one on the left was a woman with high heels or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah which is part of it. It's
0: funny. The little dog attracted my eye and I never paid attention to that. That's really interesting. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that, that's one of the things I love about it because I did the exact same thing. I'm like, oh, look at the little dog and the people walking it. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at it again and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to go to page 439, Sebastiao Salgado. And there are a number of things that interest me about this photo. This is a black and white photo of a gold mine in para brazil 1986 and this is an image of chaos because there are people in the the distant background but they're all very much in focus like the whole thing is in focus but you see people working on different tiers of this gold mine uh, a big like open pit mine and you have people in the sort of middle ground Carrying ore on their backs. And then you also have one figure in the foreground to the right. And he's this man who's just leaning against a board. And like he almost looks like maybe he's uh, like a foreman or someone in charge, but he's also dressed like everybody else. So maybe he's just taking a break. But what I find interesting about this is that it goes against so much of what is often taught in terms of, you know, focusing and depth of field and all that. Everything is in focus. And you're forced to stop and pause and parse out what you're looking at because it's also a rather dark image. I mean it's not underexposed, but it has a lot of dark tones. There aren't a lot of real bright highlight areas. There's not a lot of contrast. There's not a lot of contrast. And so you're 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 forcing your eye to figure out where does this foreground end? Where's the, the hillside that they're on? Where does that end and the, the, the background come into play? And, and I just liked it because it, it made my brain stop and scramble for a moment. And, and it required me to work, which I thought was, mm. was a, nice, a nice exercise.
0: In some ways, it reminds me of the Hieronymus Bosch painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights, where you have all those things going on. But here, what's interesting is you've got the focus of the man standing with his arms crossed, leaning against a vertical pole, looking to his left. You could almost imagine him as a Christ-like figure if his arms were stretched out a little bit. And he's not looking at the camera. He's looking at something. We don't know what he's looking at. It's, it's really an amazing composition accidental composition in a way.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: All right, that's my number four. What's your number four? I want to pick a photo by Daito Moriyama. This is on page 368. Daito Moriyama is an extremely prolific Japanese photographer. He likes to shoot in black and white, high contrast, high noise. I mean, he used to shoot in film a lot. Now he does digital. He likes to shoot with weird angles, close-ups and everything. He's almost the kind of person who'll do a sort of found photography where he'll just hold his camera and point and click without paying too much attention. This is a fairly well-known photo of a woman, a barefoot woman in a white dress. Looks like she's climbing up a sort of an alley covered with rubble between two buildings. And the, the, the slight tilt of the angle, the white dress and the darkness at the end is an extremely moving composition. As you see this pure woman, white dress, barefoot, Going into the darkness among this rubble, it's, I find this really powerful. I, I wouldn't say this is the emblematic Daido Moriyama photo, but it is one of his better known photos. Okay, so we've done four each so far, and we haven't had a match yet. We have not. Trying to figure out which of these that should be my you You're trying fifth. to figure out which of the ones you have left
1: I might have picked, right? Uh, no, I don't think so, because, I don't know, what are the odds? Maybe go early in the book. And page 80, Esther Bubley or Bu- Buble. Uh This is a photo from 1947, Greyhound Bus Terminal, New York City. And it's two black men who are dressed, well, I would say just uh, very dressed up, uh, looking very sharp, but at the time dapper. Dapper. They were dapper. Yeah, dappers are good. Uh, very sharp. Um, like like they are in their traveling clothes. Although um I've seen you know other pictures from the area, this might have just been like this is what they decide to wear when they go out. But it's it's two black men, they're sitting on a bus bench, and you see some people in the background, but it's mostly these two. And they're in some sort of a conversation, but they also look like they might be posing for the camera. But one of them is 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 leaned back a little bit, the other one is leaned forward. And the, the tones and the lighting are just wonderful. It's a black and white photo, but I love the fact that this seems like it, it was not staged. It may have been posed a little bit because they see that, that this person is taking a picture, but it's also a found moment of here's, you know, just something that's happening. Like this is just a, a bus terminal. So it, it, walks that line between is this something that they absolutely could have staged? They could have just had these two, you know, very good-looking men sit there and, you know, act like you're in a conversation. But I suspect that this was very much just two people who were in a conversation and she probably raised her camera and maybe they, you know, shifted a little bit, but that's it.
0: So I almost picked this one. Oh. We were close. It was close. And the th- three things struck me about this. F- first, it looks like those 1940s film noir movies right mm, yeah the 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 sort of the richness of the film stock used where you get high contrast but also rich grays the second is if you look at the angles of the arms of the two men they're just strange right the guy on the right his elbow is up and the guy on the left his shoulders down and the The lines of those arms is very weird. The third is that there's another head behind them in the middle. You see the back of the head, mm-hmm. so that you realize that they're in a crowd and that the person behind them is listening to whatever they're saying, even though you can't tell. I wouldn't say it's an argument because the the gentleman on the left he's got his hand under his chin. He looks relaxed. Yeah. Um. But it's there's definitely a body language of the man on the right staring down the man on the left. Right. He's taller, bigger. Leaning up and the other man's leaning down, but I just love the tones of that. That made me immediately think it was a movie still. Yes. All right. Here we go. Number five. Here's our last chance. Page 262. Pielwarrain. This is an astounding photo, and I've seen this before a couple of times. It's two young girls who look very similar. One is walking down some stairs. The other is walking toward the stairs. The one in the front is in the light in focus, the one in the back is out of focus, but what strikes is the lighting, that you have this angular lighting that's sharp on the ground between the two of them, but then there's a a very strong shadow to the left coming down at like a 30 degree angle. It's a photo, I'm pretty sure it's a found moment, not posed, and it's a photo that just says, you know, light is photography. The composition of light and shadow is what makes photography. In some way, the girls make you think of the Twins in The Shining movie as if they're walking away after having done a few shots with Kubrick and they're going to, you know, get ice cream or something like that. Yeah. There's something creepy about it in some ways, but there's something that the the way the light works, the way the two bodies are positioned, it's really a fascinating photo.
1: When I think of street photography, this is the kind of thing I think of because even though, yes, you're right, this is a found moment. But this is also a very deliberately framed, uh, you know, deliberately shot. And even if it's a moment that just happened very, very briefly, the photographer was was ready for it. Right. Um, I, I also love the fact that, you know, these are two young girls and yet they are just sort of walking like they are, you know, composed, maybe older women they're not running they're not like like their their arms aren't out or anything like that they're just they're just like walking very steadily and then the other thing that really caught my eye is the girl in the foreground she's holding some sort of a glass bottle mm. and the light is coming through the bottle just enough so it's not just a silhouette you get that sense of like that is obviously maybe a a green or brown glass bottle that looks like it's probably mostly empty but for some reason, that and the fact that most most of her is in silhouette stands out for me.
0: So we did it. We got five each. We did it. And we're we're not going to hit 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> we didn't pick any of the same photos after after we finish recording. We'll talk through the, the, the other pics we have that we didn't mention, see if there were any overlaps, but there weren't yeah. um, so far. What, what I take away from this book is every time I look at this, it shows me the possibilities of photography. It shows how photography contains multitudes, and you can shoot in focus, out of focus, perfect framing, not perfect framing, a little bit of blur. As Cartier-Bresson famously said, "Sharpness is a bourgeois concept." Um, you can do anything in photography, and it it can teach you to not be so rigid in thinking. I have to do this, or as you said earlier, I have to fix this if something doesn't look right. Accept what happens, and go with it and treat that as part of the process. One of
1: the things I come away from this book with is I two things. I wonder why this does not have more recent photographers or at least recent work and it makes me ask who are the who are the contemporaries now that would be in this book in 20 years, 50 years? And I don't know that I can answer that, partially, again, because I don't have a, a broad knowledge. But, you know, I, I think a lot of the photographers here, even the ones that are still alive, are probably either retired or uh, elderly. Uh, some of them have passed on. So I don't know. It makes me wonder how people are going to come up with this sort of criteria for the photographers of today and who those are going to be. And I have no idea what the answer is, but it tickles my brain to sort of think, like, you know, is is Joe McNally going to be in a book like this, for example? Uh, Pete Souza? Probably, because of the historical
0: significance. When you look at the history of art, it's always weighted toward the past because it's history. You can never weed out things from today. You don't know what will last from today. I think an edition of this book in 50 years would include a huge number of photographers that. Who are working now? A lot of them, maybe iPhone photographers, or you know, purely digital, who never worked with film. But there are probably still influenced by the older ones in this book, because all art is influenced by the past. Yeah, it's an interesting point to think of photographers today who would be recognized. There's no photos by Michael Kenna, who's a very well-known photographer of you know minimalist landscapes. Mm-hmm. I could probably find a dozen other photographers who might not be there. Could be a copyright issue. We don't really know if there's something like that in in any case, I strongly recommend that anyone who wants to broaden their knowledge of the history of photography without having to buy fifty photography books get this, and you'll see so many different types of photos uh photographers from different cultures, different times doing totally different types of photography and this could give you ideas as to things that you can do that you might not have thought that you could do because they feel wrong
1: and also Find photographers that you like here and then go search out more of their work. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
0: Are we agreed that this is our snapshot this week? We agreed
1: that this is our snapshot. Um, I also want to mention that if anybody else has this book or maybe gets it for the holidays, uh, come to our Facebook group and uh, let's talk about your favorite photos because there are so many to choose from. And then the last thing I'll mention is this is our last episode of the year. So we're taking a holiday break. And so our next episode is going to be in January 12th. So quite a nice long break for us. Uh, I would like to say that we're just going to go relax for three or four weeks, but no, we have lots of other things to do. But <clears throat> in terms of the podcast, <laughs> this is going to be our, our last episode of the year, and I just want to wish everybody happy
0: holidays. And I'm really glad we didn't do a gift guide. <laughs> 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 you know it's a good idea we did one of one of those in the past yep. and it's always a problem to try and think well this is a gift guide in a way we give people one gift idea there you go all you need okay. is one Mar- gift
1: one very very heavy gift <laughs> okay merry christmas and happy new
0: year <laughs> happy holidays bye-bye thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's Cast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast.